eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Cheeseheads. Cheese Get on your feet. It's Curd and Law. Hosted by Sparky Fighter and Ryan Horvath. Welcome in another edition of Curd and Long. Steve Sparky Pfeiffer with you. Normally, Ryan Horvath of BetMGM tonight is here as well. However, he is still out sick. He's been battling it for the last week or so, but apparently his voice is starting to come back. So that's a positive sign. Joining us in his place, special guest co-host Jacob Westendorf. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacob Westendorf or X, whatever you want to call it nowadays. He's on the phone for the podcast today. You can follow all of his great stuff over at si.com slash NFL slash Packers. Him and Bill Huber uh, do a great job over there. Uh, so let's first start off, uh, obviously, talking about this this Green Bay Packers team, which I, I will tell you what my reaction was. You were up there at the game. I was on my couch, uh, and I was pretty much laughing the entire first half by what I was watching from the Packers offense. I'm not sure if everybody uh, in the press box's reaction, but mine was laughter. It felt different than anything else that they've had for, I mean, I, I wasn't at the game in Detroit, so I, I didn't experience what that was like, but this felt like not quite, you know, prime MVP level Aaron Rodgers type offenses. Cause they still had some self-destructions and weird penalties that ruined some stuff and kicked a couple field goals when they probably should have scored touchdowns. But it felt like, and this, like, make no mistake about it. This Chiefs defense is awesome. That is, for all the fanfare that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey get and deserve, their defense is what has made them the best team in the AFC before last night's game. So they were able to move the ball pretty much at will against a really good defense. And, like, I mean, what was it? They had, like, seven possessions, and they scored on six of them or something, or eight possessions and six scoring just something to that effect. It was incredible and something I told you just before we started here, not at all what I would have expected to be having as far as a conversation if we had done this before the Chargers game. 
See, my argument all year on this podcast with Ryan Horvath has been, yeah, you can be mad at Jordan Love. You can criticize Jordan Love, but it's, in my opinion, the whole time was kind of unfair because you had wide receivers that probably weren't doing the right things and not playing fast. You had tight ends that weren't doing necessarily the right things at times. You had a turnstile at left tackle and Rasheed Walker for a majority of the year. Running hasn't had a great year at right guard. I mean, Aaron Jones can't stay healthy. That's who this offense was built around in the offseason. There were so many things going against this offense uh, by uh, you know a person not named Jordan Love. To me, it was going to be very difficult to sit here and make a decision of, oh, he sucks. He's not the guy based on what was around him. And now as the season has gone on, even with Aaron Jones hurt yet again, uh, you're seeing these young guys starting to play faster, understand where they're supposed to be, still making mistakes, but not as many maybe as they have in the past. And now this offense... Uh, is being trusted more so by Matt LaFleur when he's calling these plays than maybe it was, you know, six, seven weeks ago. Yeah, and like you said, you're watching that play out in real time now where guys are on the same page. Jordan Love talks about it after the Steelers game where they had that big play on the final drive to Jaden Reed where he and Reed saw the same thing and he kind of threw one up and Reed knew where to go and ran under it. You're starting to see more stuff like that. You know, like for the, the big play to Dobbs last night, yeah, it was kind of chuck and duck. But it was a play that I promised you three weeks ago, two weeks ago even, maybe before the Detroit game. That's picked off. Yep. And we're going, like, what the heck was he even looking at or thinking or anything like that? Like you said, you're seeing it play out in real time. You know, nothing about Jordan Love's career has been fair. It's not fair to him that he came into a situation with a relatively toxic relationship between the general manager and the quarterback that was probably only made worse by his selection. For sure. Not, not fair that he had to wait for three years. You know, that's just kind of the way that I guess his career is going to go. Nothing about it is going to be fair. And now you see what happens. He's holding the pen and he's writing his own story, which is kind of the coolest part of this season so far is they've overcome all that stuff and they've kind of overcome it together. You know, it's not, you're not listening to the stories of being at odds or anything like that. You're just listening to, you know, stories about how the team is growing instead of, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. There's no question about that. But listening to the guys, the receivers who are at odds with each other, stuff like that, or the facial expressions or anything like that, it's been incredible. It's been fun to watch. It's kind of the byproduct of a young team. You know, the growing teams are what they are. And it seems like, for now at least, those are over. It's funny. I heard Romeo Dobbs after the game uh, yesterday talking about Jordan Love and how, you know, he's relatively quiet. He just wants to play football and go out there and win and so forth. And it, it maybe it's not fair to Aaron Rodgers to make the following statement, but it, in my mind, I don't know if this would have went the same way had Rodgers still been here playing with all these inexperienced guys, because I, I think you could point at different instances where Rodgers absolutely has destroyed the confidence of a young player by dressing him down and doing what he does um, or refusing to throw the ball to him again, if they drop a ball. And I think, you needed a guy with a ton of patience that was willing to kind of go through the growing pains of the young guys around him. And even though it was going to be at his expense publicly uh, while they try to figure it out, that that's what makes this even better. I think is the fact that Jordan Love is a patient guy. Isn't, you know, some vet that's been here 10 or 12 years and is going to scream his head off every t- time somebody runs a wrong route. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it would have been a completely different situation if, if Rodgers were here. But, yeah, there's no way they would have built this team the same way they did a year ago. Because you saw him go through the struggles last year. And that was right. even with guys that have played with him, guys he knows, guys he likes, guys he wants on his team with him, you know, in his corner or whatever phrasing you want to use. I mean, 
the one thing that you're saying on that that kind of sticks out to me is last year, I remember it was a Monday night game against the Rams and Watson had run clearly the wrong route and he didn't score a touchdown on a play that he could have. And at the end of the game, Roger said something in, to the media about like, if you want to score touchdowns, you run the right route. So I'm like, he's right. But you're sitting there like, did you, did you have to say that yep. publicly? Could you have said that privately? You know, I don't know. But like I said, Aaron Rodgers is great. It's probably not fair to him to have some of the criticisms that we had, but you know, I think even after a while as, as fans and media members and, and all this stuff, even, you know, it even got a little sale for us watching and listening and hearing to the same stuff. Cause the stuff we're saying now about Jordan love is what was being said 15 years ago about Aaron Rodgers, the breath of fresh air though. It's just so different without the, you know, the stuff that Barb would do or you know, things like that. So it's kind of interesting to, kind of watch that growth pattern with the new quarterback. Let's talk about Christian Watson. Last year, big drop, you know, first play of the, of the year, whatever the case may be, has issues. Gets hurt, comes back, totally different player in the second half, looks like he's a true one. We come into this year, hurt again, uh, comes back, struggles, so forth. Now it looks like he's finally kind of figured it out, turned it on, had his best game of the year yesterday, and hurt again, uh, Christian Watson. When healthy, after he gets through his initial struggles, he looks like he can be, you know, a star type wide receiver in the league. My thing just is if you're the Packers, you know, Reed's not a one, Dobbs isn't a one. Um, I, I don't know if Wicks is necessarily a one. Uh, and you look ahead kind of at the draft and so forth. I, I just wonder if there is going to be temptation to take a wide receiver early in that draft. Or if they're going to go in that draft saying, we're good, maybe I'll take one, you know, fifth, sixth round or something like that. But we're not taking wide receivers early on. We like what we have. Yeah, there's five more games or six more games or however many more. They're fortunate enough to play if they keep winning that that might decide that, you know, as far as everything like that. Uh, the the way that the, you know, the weapon room is now, like I said, I think they have a lot of guys that are really nice pieces. I think Watson has a chance to be, a star. And I think of the receivers that they have on the roster, that's the only one that has a chance to be a star. Agreed. star. Like, you know, a true number one, to use the phrasing everyone likes to throw out there. So everyone else, you know, I don't want to call them an upgradable piece because I think they're nice to have around, but you don't pass on, you know, keep, well, they're not going to be able to draft Marvin Harrison, but, you know, Marvin Harrison has a gas mask that comes out and that makes him look, you know, drop way down in the draft. You don't pass on Marvin Harrison because you say, well, we got Romeo Dobbs, like we're good there kind of thing. Uh, and that's not disrespectful to him either. That's just the nature of how it is. So I think they could use one more guy there. Um, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like or who that's going to look like or anything like that, but it has been nice to see this group kind of grow together. But yeah, I mean, you can never have, I mean, you're kind of seeing in Kansas city right now, they have Travis Kelsey and not a whole lot else. Uh, and even Patrick Mahomes can only make chicken salad out of, you know what, for so long. Yeah, no doubt about it. What about the offensive line as this thing has played out through, uh, throughout the year? What What are your thoughts on what you've seen to this point? Because the last couple of weeks, I feel like uh, maybe last three or four weeks, this offensive line is starting to protect a little bit better for Jordan Love. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think they're starting to get better. And you mentioned the turnstile at left tackle early in the season. That was a big deal. You know, this team was built around David Bakhtiari and, and Elton Jenkins and trying to put 
that group on the left side of the line that lasted all of one game. You know, that was that was the tough part. Is then you're trying to adjust on the fly to not having an all pro. And not only not having an all pro, now it's you have a seventh round pick that hasn't played a whole lot of football. I mean, that's that's tough to to kind of work through and, and figure out your way through those things. So the Packers have been able to do that. And I think the biggest part of that is the improvement of what they've done this weird rotation, which kind of started to see the end last night. I think Yosh Nyman only played like 19% of snaps. Sean Ryan played one series. Uh, and you could debate whether he should play more or not, but a left tackle, I definitely think you should have a, a situation where like you're just one person, you plug them in there. If he plays 60 snaps, he plays 60 snaps. But that improvement from that group, it's still not great in the run game, but in the passing game, Jordan Love has a lot more time to throw the football. What about the run game? Because the last time Aaron Jones was hurt, this offense was horrible. They couldn't figure it out. Now Aaron Jones is hurt, and A.J. Dillon looks like a completely different running back as far as you know, running over people far more now than he did earlier. Uh, and knowing that, look, you know, there's a chance him and Jones may both not be back next year. We have no idea what that running, running back room will even look like. So maybe he's playing for a contract, maybe for somebody else next year, if it's not necessarily here in green Bay, but he's definitely one of those guys that you could say has had a huge upgrade over his performance from earlier in the year till now. Yeah. He looked like a completely different player last night. The last night was, it's nothing, you know, nobody's going to compare him to Barry Sanders or Earl Campbell or somebody like that for 18 carries for 73 yards, but that's as good as he's looked all season long. And the Packers are going to need that. I mean, the run game is not going to be what it was last year. You know, they were a top top tier unit last year with Jones and Dylan and that offensive line as they gelled and everything like that. That's just not in the cards this year. Uh, and even when Jones has been around, they haven't been a very good rushing team. And I know that hasn't been a whole lot as far as Jones being able to play, but that's just how it is. You know, during training camp, they put a lot of focus on building the passing game and they kind of did that to some degree, I think at the expense, of the run game, but then you put AJ Dillon in for some reason, when the calendar turns to December, he looks like a different player. It's almost like something activates inside of him as saying like, this is what I was built for. This is what I'm supposed to be. Now I'm going to run through these people. And last night he certainly was doing that. What about Matt LaFleur as a play caller early in the year? He took a lot of flack for his play calling. A lot of people saying, Oh, Aaron Rodgers covered up for him. Now we know why Rodgers wanted to have so much say in the play calling and so forth. Uh, and now, as he's as Lafleur would put it in the press conference yesterday, he's become more aggressive with the play calling because, in all honesty, he trusts the offense more as far as the players playing it to do what they're supposed to do. You're seeing more or less what this offense is supposed to look like, uh, and he looks like a pretty damn good play caller to me the last three or four weeks. Yeah, last night was the culmination of that. I thought with all the motion, the plays off of plays, everything that they ran, I thought it looked like how it was quote-unquote supposed to. You know, everybody, it's easy to say be aggressive and do all that stuff. It's hard to do that when your offense is struggling to pick up first downs and do anything with any sort of consistency, which they were early in the year. So it's, it's kind of understandable to be more conservative. But I think it sounds an identity. And that identity is what it has been for 30 years. It's the right arm of the quarterback and throwing the ball. You know, I think they were trying to protect him and maybe this young passing game early in the year. And they figured out pretty quickly, or at least through, you know, <laughs> trial by fire, if you will, but they can't do that now. You know, they, they, it's not a dominant ground game. You know, this isn't the 2021 Michigan Wolverines, for example, where it's line up and ram it down your throat or the old school Wisconsin Badgers. Since I guess I'm not a Wisconsin show. I should probably use that as an example instead. But you get those things all put together. 
Play calling is always easier when the stuff is working, right? Like that's just kind of the nature of how it is. But I think they're doing better stuff to set up. And now as the players understand more of what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to be, they kind of know better as to now if four can do some things that are better in that spot too. The other thing that's happening is that there's a lot more misdirection going on with the reverses and double reverse uh, that you saw last night with Christian Watson. That to me is a huge element of, of this offense because even though you don't have a speed guy to AJ Dillon to be able to use a couple of those wide receivers like Reed or Watson to kind of show that speed to get to the corner is an element they desperately have to have, I think, to make this run game go. Yeah, and you have to finesse it a little bit because you can't just line up and run inside zone the way that they could have last year and do some stuff with the outside zones that they were able to last year. They kind of have to have those, like you said, the jet sweeps, the reverses, all of that stuff to to make some plays in the run game because, yeah, they can't get into a situation where it's just drop back passing for, you know, 45, 50 attempts a game. That's not going to be a good situation for this team. They're not there yeah, but what they're doing is they're testing the discipline of opposing team linebackers, opposing team second-level defenders, and trying to figure out what it is that they need to do to establish a better ground game. And I think that is certainly part of it. Jaden Reed has been a big part of this running game, especially in the last few weeks. Let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. I saw you uh, earlier today talk about uh, it doesn't look like Joe Barry is going anywhere based on how this defense has played as of late. And with five games coming up against you know, average to, to uh, below average teams, mostly below average teams. We'll call the Vikings average for the time being because they are 500 technically. But with that being said, uh, unless something goes haywire here, uh, Joe Barry is going to be back in Green Bay's defensive coordinator again next year, even though most fans don't want him. Yeah, some of that I think is confirming a prior. Some of it is based in merit. I mean, it's not the most aesthetically pleasing defense. They still give up a billion yards on the ground. Yep. They still give up things a little too easily at times. Like, that stuff is true. It was a little funny watching last night. Everybody freak out as Travis Kelsey is, like, wide open in the middle of the field. Like, how does he let that happen? Like, well, Travis Kelsey does that against everybody. He's arguably the greatest tight end ever. You know, sometimes (laughs) Joe Barry, I think, gets complained or gets blamed for just about everything that goes wrong uh, in Green Bay and and maybe even the world's events as well. (laughs) Packers fans make those blames. So, I mean, I'm not advocating for him because I, I don't personally like the style of defense that they play. It's why I'm not a big fan of, like, when people say, fire him and replace him with Brandon Staley. Well, why? You just want to play the same defense? That doesn't make much sense to me. But they've gone, I think Aaron Nagler tweeted today, they have under 24 points allowed in eight straight games, the longest streak since 2010. I mean, that is, that's good. Whether, you know, whatever way you want to put it or not. And I, I said today later, too, that, I think if the prior or the general consensus was that Joe Barry was a good defensive coordinator, then the conversation surrounding what they've done with the turmoil and the secondary and the guys in and out of the lineup and stuff like that, I think it would be talked about a lot differently instead of, well, look at this number and look at these things. That's still not going well. But I don't think people realize how difficult it is in the National Football League to lose your best corner for several games like they have with Jair Alexander, put inexperience out there like they have. Uh, and still be able to not only do your job, but put your team in a position to win without it becoming an eyesore uh, at that next cornerback after Jair Alexander and Valentine and Valentine. Uh, and plus you traded Rajul Douglas. Let's not forget about that either. People were losing their minds over that earlier. Uh, and this secondary with uh, all of these different dudes uh, have really stepped up to the plate and played a, a lot better than the guys that were playing earlier in the year. Yeah, I mean... 
this is not meant to sound the way that it might, but like the reality is the reality. Corey Ballantyne was on the practice squad. Anybody could have picked him up and signed him to the yep. active roster, and they didn't. Carrington Valentine was a seventh-round pick, and he's played really well. But he was still a seventh-round pick. I mean, anybody could have picked him for the first 200-some-odd picks and didn't. The way that they've been able to, like you said, Jair Alexander's an all-pro player. That is not an easy thing to just replace and plug and go. You know, it's not like Madden where you're replacing a 94 with a 72 right, or something like that. That's not the way these things work. So Green Bay, I think, and the whole secondary, you mentioned Douglas being traded. Uh, Darnell Savage has missed most of the season. Rudy Ford's been in and out of the lineup. I mean, they've, I don't think the only starter, preferred starter in the defensive backfield that's played every game is Keyshawn Nixon. And Nixon was a special teamer when they signed him. Like, his thing wasn't to come here and play defensive back. This wasn't some high-profile acquisition that they made. It was a, well, you know, we want you to come here because you know Basaccia, you can play special teams, and then they happen to fall into the fact that he's a really good kickoff returner. But he wasn't supposed to be a defensive back. That was a surprise to them and everyone else. And the cool thing about Nixon is he gets that interception, uh, and that I enjoyed him talking about their mannerisms of film. I didn't know that was even a thing, to be honest with you. A mannerisms film that they watched, uh, and he saw Mahomes do the thing that he saw on film, and they ran the the the, the play that he expected with the routes that he expected and got the pick. And then you see LaFleur afterwards in the locker room talking about, you know, that was great, but the fact that he got swung on uh, and didn't swing back at the running back, Pacheco uh, for uh, Kansas City was the most impressive thing. And in the National Football League or most walks of life, if somebody swings at you, the initial reaction is going to be to swing back. Now, Ingabari came, I believe it was Ingabari, came running over there and got him out of there before he had a chance to do anything. But that, that's pretty impressive because that would have been a big deal had he swung back and they both got 15 yards and both got kicked out of the game. That really could have changed the outcome of the game. Yeah, it could have. And it was cool, too. And my first impression of Keyshawn Nixon was seeing him at training camp last year. And it's him, and they were doing joint practice with the Saints. It's him and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson before he got traded to Philadelphia just going back and forth. And Gardner Johnson has that reputation as kind of that pest, the instigator, whatever. Nixon doesn't back down from stuff like that. And they kind of had to separate those two guys on the sideline because they thought it was going to become a thing. So before saying that, it was funny and also like not that surprising because yeah, Nixon kind of has that you swing, I'm going to swing. Like his first, like if that's your first reaction, my first reaction, like it's almost a subconscious reaction or whatever the comparison for that is. But he's been a big part of this team in this locker room. You can tell like the guys were really happy for him getting a game ball. That's his first interception at home. The crazy part was that was, so of the active cornerbacks on Green Bay's roster, that is the first interception of that group that's in here. That is Green wow. Bay's quarterback. First interception since Rasul Douglas. And they traded him at the end of October, early November, whenever it was. So hopefully that starts a trend of guys starting to get their hand on the ball a little bit more. Uh, but it was that was a cool thing to see. It was a culmination of a film study and a guy having a chance to make a play. And again, everybody was mad at Goody that he got a third round pick for Rajul Douglas, and it's a white flag. And what are they doing? They're quitting. They're really not going to give him any chance to win. And uh, now, by the time this regular season is done, not only is everybody going to have to owe Goody an apology, but it's going to look like a swami move if this secondary continues to play this well without Rajul Douglas. Having said that, let's talk about the Packers front seven. How did you feel like they played uh, yesterday? Obviously, stopping the run was an issue, uh, but getting to Mahomes was something. But I think a lot of those were coverage sacks more than anything else. 
Yeah, and I think you got to heat him up a little bit. You know, Lucas Van Ness is starting to make some plays. You can see, like, that back was a long time coming yep. from some other stuff that he's done over the last couple of weeks. Rashawn Gary's a star. Okay, Clark, that's a tough off. The, the tackles stink in Kansas City. But the, the interior, that group with Joe Tooney and, and Creed Humphrey and those guys, it's really good. So asking for almost anything from the interior last night was going to be a tall order. So I thought the edge group played relatively well. Uh, you know, you move Mahomes off his spot a little bit. If there's one thing that can make him kryptonite it, or make him not look like Superman, I guess, is moving him around and having to make him like uncomfortable in the pocket. And I thought they did that relatively well, even if the sacks weren't like, oh man, that guy just whipped the tackle and took him to the ground, even though I think Van Ness did that a little bit. But I think the front is starting to heat up a little bit. They have six sacks in the last two games. They're going to face the Giants on Monday who are just dreadful in pass protection. So they should have a good opportunity to put some stuff together there. After that, they play Tampa Bay, Baker Mayfield prone to getting hit a bunch. And then they'll play Carolina after that. And then Minnesota, Minnesota's the best offensive line they'll face between now and the end of the season. But this defense as a whole, and this is true of almost any defense, when you can get pressure with four, it's a lot easier because you have seven on the back end. The most they can throw out in a pattern is five. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot to, to work in your favor. And, you know, the New York Giants won two Super Bowls by playing – it might be called vanilla, but it really is as simple sometimes as being able to rush with four and cover with seven. Yeah, they had four really good pass rushers on that Giants team for those couple of Super Bowls. Uh, and it's interesting because Tyrod Taylor looks like he might very well be active and ready to go by Monday night for the Giants uh, instead of uh, good old Tommy DeVito. So uh, that'll be a nice little shot in the arm for the Giants. And hopefully the Packers will be good to go on the road Monday night. Uh, I put it on Twitter after Carlson hit that field goal at the end. Uh, that I, I had little faith that he was actually going to make that field goal. In fact, I was more concerned that it was going to get blocked uh, and picked up than I was him of him actually making that field goal. How much confidence, honestly, did you have that he was going to hit that thing? Uh, none. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he had missed a kick in every game. And the only game he didn't miss a kick since the bye was against Minnesota. And there's kind of an asterisk next to that because – he missed a kick, but Minnesota was called offside, so he got a mulligan. Right. And then kind of snuck the, the second kick in there. So when Love took the sack, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, you just made a long field goal longer. You're going to ice the kicker, your own kicker, because you're going to call the timeout to make sure that, you know, he's not rushed into kicking or whatever. But that was a big thing. You know, the Packers, for as much as they talked about having their faith rewarded with the quarterback, and that makes sense. Of course, the quarterback is much more important. And the kicker, they have been very vocally supportive of Anders Carlson all season. And that is a patience that paid off for them on Sunday night. And I uh, maybe it'll be something that pays off long term. You know, we saw with Anders' brother that Mike Zimmer cut him after two games, and now he's one of the best kickers in football. So I think that's what the Packers are hoping for. But, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I thought he was going to drill that kick right down the middle like he did last night. Packers got five games left against, uh, as we said, uh, all teams they should beat outside maybe be the Vikings that are 500 like the Packers are now. So maybe you look at that as a coin flip. I don't know. Uh, but my fear is here, Packer fans, and I can see it on social media, uh, they're going to run the table. They're not going to lose again. And that type of stuff, I, I am telling you, don't do it. Don't fall into that trap, man. Don't Just don't do it. This is not a veteran-laden offense uh, at this point with Rodgers and a bunch of vets around him that know how to deal with this. And it was brought up to LaFleur after the game uh, on Sunday as well, which is how do they handle success without overlooking games? And I think there's going to be at least one time 
maybe more, where they're going to overlook somebody and they're going to struggle and they're going to lose a game that they should win. I don't know if it'll be the Giants or if it'll be somebody else, but this is, again, a very young squad, and it may be that immaturity, whatever, they may bite them in the behind once they start feeling themselves a little bit here. Yeah, and call it a trap game. Call it whatever you want. Uh, but I think the Giants having that extra rest coming off the bye week and combine that with the Packers having maybe the biggest win of this, you know, core's careers, that could be something that happens. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because we keep saying, oh, it'll be a roller coaster. The team will have ups and downs and all that stuff. Well, then when they went two and one, we started talking about, well, could they win the NFC North? You know, can they win 12 games? Could they be six and two at the bye week or, you know, whatever that would have ended up being? There's downs that come with ups when you say there's going to be ups and downs. And I don't think the downs are necessarily over. Now, that being said, they should win somewhere over the next five, at least. The only game that, in theory, should be a toss-up is Minnesota in Minnesota because it's on the road. But the other teams, they are better than them. But, I mean, Kansas City is better than Green Bay, and Green Bay just beat them last night. It's funny because I see on on social media, see Palazzolo from uh, Pro Football Focus tweeted out last night, the Packers are the first, quote, don't want to see them in the playoffs, end quote, team of the season. And seemingly before the game, everybody on TV picked the Packers to lose that game. Literally every analyst NBC had picked against the Packers. The game gets done, and then you go to NFL Network, Maurice Jones, Drew, and those guys, and you start flipping around, and now everybody, because the Packers technically are in the playoffs as of today as the seventh seed. Now everybody's like, oh, they're definitely going to be in the playoffs now. Like, there's no question about that. And maybe some teams should be, you know, a little worried about having to deal with the Packers in the playoffs. How different it is after one single football game is played. They didn't change their opinion after five or six weeks. They literally all spawn on one outcome of one game, Jacob. Yeah, I'll be in a very, very big one. I mean, beating the defending champions with Andy Reid. And again, I know this isn't the peak form of the Kansas City Chiefs, but that is still a very good team. And the Packers, like, I mean, even after they beat the Chargers, it was, okay, so they're four and six. They're going to play the Lions on the road, and then they're going to play the Chiefs at home. They're probably going to be four and eight. And then we're talking about, like, well, if they can steal one, then this or that. Well, now they just won both. So I do think that those conversations, maybe this is a culmination of everything finally coming together for this Packers team. But it is always a little bit funny, yes, to see, well, nobody thought the Packers were going to win that game. And if somebody did pick Green Bay that was an expert, please let me know who that was because I didn't see anybody do it. And then after the game is over, yeah, you're like, well, they're now they're definitely going to be in the playoffs. Could they make some noise? Could they beat San Francisco in San Francisco? Like, that is that is way putting the cart before the horse, in my opinion. But, yeah, I do think that it's fair now to say the expectation for this team, when you came into the year, it was, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. No expectations. Now I think the expectation does have to be make the playoffs. And that doesn't mean they're going to win a game. That doesn't mean they're going to play to go to the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean they're going to beat the Cowboys or some really good team in the NFC like that. But I think making the playoffs is a fair expectation at this point. And that's how, that's how it should be. That's what the Packers have played themselves into. And that's a good thing. They make the playoffs with, I don't know, say 10 wins. Let's say it's 10 wins. They make the playoffs. And let's say they get bounced right away and they get beat in the first round in the playoffs. What's the pay going to be like for Jordan Love? Like top 12? Something like that? Somewhere in that area as far as where he gets paid among the the scale of quarterbacks on a new deal? Because clearly if they make the playoffs his first year, they're going to have to give him a long-term extension this summer uh, and try and get out in front of it as much as as much as they can. They can't go into next year in a lame duck year having not extended him. 
No, and that was always going to be the case. They were always going to have to make that decision after this year. And even if that doesn't feel like a fair thing, teams just don't do lame duck quarterbacks that often, if at all. So I think you're right. It, I, personally, I think that decision made, unless Jordan Love just has like absolute worst quarterback in football over the last five games, terrible, and assuming everything else, else around him stays relatively the same, then I think that's something that maybe could change their opinion. But, I mean, the guy just went into Detroit and beat the Lions there, played lights out doing that, and then outdueled Patrick Mahomes and played a really good game against a really good defense. And, and the team, you could tell, and you could tell this early in the year, even when they were losing. I said this a bunch. From an intangible leadership, not production, on the field type standpoint, Jordan Love had everything you could want in terms of a franchise quarterback. They just needed that production to be on the field for any of that to matter. Because there are quarterback teams believe in, but aren't good enough. You know, with all due respect to Geno Smith in Seattle, that team sounds like they believe in him. But he's not good enough to win a championship with them. Is Jordan Love? I don't know. But I definitely think he's good enough to be a team's long-term starter at this point and, and is, can get better to the point where you feel like, yeah, they can win a championship with him. Yeah, I think that is where he's at right now. Think about this. He, according to Spot Track, he's at 13.5 million average, right, at 20th. Then Garoppolo is 24.25. That's 19th. Geno Smith, Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers is 13th at 37.5. And then you get to Jones at 40 million. Uh, Stafford and Prescott. So where does he come in? Does he come in somewhere between like 30 and 35 million, somewhere in the uh, between Tannehill and Jared Goff and puts him somewhere around 16th or 17th in average salary going forward? Maybe even higher than that. I really? Think today suggests Patrick Mahomes at 45 mil average per year. I mean, that's just wow. You know, that's kind of what the market and everything decides. And teams around this league are starved for quarterback play. Jimmy Garoppolo probably not a fair comparison for someone like Jordan Love because we know what he is. He's a journeyman. He's got the 49ers tried to replace him like three separate times, and then they finally did. So they let him go to Oakland, Las Vegas, and and do that thing out there with them. But yeah, I, I mean, I've always erred on the side of more expensive for quarterbacks. Quarterbacks aren't cheap, man. And that's why when, like, when Aaron Rodgers would get his deals when he was in Green Bay, everyone would be like, oh, uh, is that a lot? Or, you know, what's that going to be? It's like, well, yeah, of course it costs a lot. There's nothing in sports more valuable than a franchise quarterback. They get paid accordingly. That's just how it works. He is Jacob Westendorf. Check out all of his great work along with Bill Huber. Follow him on Twitter at Jacob Westendorf. SI.com slash NFL slash Packers, Packers Central. Go check it out over there. And of course, you can download this fine podcast, Curtin Long, on your Odyssey app or wherever you download your favorite podcast at Spotify, Apple, wherever it may be. Plus, you can also watch the videos up at the Odyssey Sports YouTube page where we normally will stream these live, unless, of course, I'm doing a solo show, in which case we don't do that. Uh, thank you so much, Jacob Westendorf. And uh, we will talk again down the line. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, Sparky. You have a good rest of your day.